Welcome to the Exceptional Sales Letter Podcast with Darren Mitchell. If you're a sales letter looking to take your leadership to a whole new level, then this is the podcast for you. We'll be exploring tips, techniques, and strategies to help you take your leadership to the exceptional level and allow you to enjoy more money, more meaning, and better sales results. G'day, Darren Mitchell here, and welcome back to another episode of the Exceptional Sales Leader Podcast. On today's episode, I'm going to talk about a topic that is, uh, well, it irks me, it frustrates me, it frustrated me years ago when I was a sales leader, and it continues to frustrate me today when I'm working with sales leaders, and that is uh, developing confidence in sales forecasting. And I've got to say, there there are many, many sales leaders out there that are operating under a huge, huge blind spot, and they're not aware of it. Uh, many times, uh, and as an example, many times as a sales leader, and I must say earlier on in my sales leadership career, I did this and I was guilty as charged uh, for a number of months until I started to realize there's some some digging I need to do and some things I need to put in place to make sure that this never happens again. Many times I would take the uh, the word of the account executive or the gospel of the AE, the sales exec, on a specific deal, only for that deal to fall over be handed to the competition or for that deal not to happen at all because perhaps the organization was going to do something in-house. And as a sales leader, particularly as a new sales leader wanting to create a great impression and uh, be looking good in front of the eyes of the senior sales execs and senior sales directors, you'd be thinking, wow, I've got to put my best foot forward and give a high level of confidence that we're not just going to hit our target, we're going to blow our target out of the water. And very often, I would be putting forecasts on the on the table with a high degree of probability and a high degree of confidence simply based on what the account executive was telling me. And uh, <laughs> I've got to say, it was, uh, it was an initiation by fire and I worked out that it doesn't always uh, go the way you want it to. And certainly it can be very, very frustrating, but also quite embarrassing. But within that, there's some phenomenal lessons that I learned that I've taken through the rest of my sales leadership career, and certainly now I take into any conversations I'm having with sales leaders today in relation to forecasting and some of the things to look at and look for so we're not going to be in a position where we are making false promises or having to go back and explain as to why we didn't close the deal that we said we were going to close. And really interestingly, nothing much has changed today. And this is uh, you know, 2021 versus you know when I started, 2004, 2005. Nothing much has really changed today. And working with sales leaders today, the same challenge tends to exist. Too many sales leaders are relying too heavily on relationship and almost the old nudge, nudge, wink, wink, trust me, we're going to get this deal. She'll be right, mate, when it comes to deals and forecasts. And there's blind spots everywhere. And it's... <laughs> It's something that we need to get a lot better at. And as a sales leader, we must learn to shine a massive, massive spotlight at those blind spots. Now, the good news is this is relatively easy to do. Uh, the not so good news is this is relatively easy to do. And so when it comes to blind spots, when it comes to sales forecasting, and really when it comes to putting in a sales rhythm around deals and certainly bids and so forth, uh, it's not rocket science, and yet there are so many sales teams, so many sales leaders, and dare I say it, so many organizations that try to overcomplicate the overly simplistic. And so we, I want to shine a light on this today, and I want to give you some things to think about, and this is by no means an exhaustive list, but when it comes to your sales forecasting, when it comes to having conversations with certainly your sales teams, but certainly with your partners you're dealing with, but also with your customers as well, 
some things to think about in terms of, okay, I need to uncover certain things. I need to find out certain bits of information and I need to get a level of certainty that all of these boxes have been ticked so that I can then provide a level of confidence and certainty in the forecast that I'm going to provide to the business so they can start forecasting appropriate levels of revenue and hopefully profitable revenue. So the first thought to think about, oh, first thought to think about, the first, the first thought is your customer does not want your product. Now, I've mentioned this to a number of clients, potential clients, and often when I say that, they look at me as if I'm completely weird and think, what do you mean my customer doesn't want my product? We've got the best product on the marketplace. We've got the best service. We've got the number one widget. We've got the fastest network. We've got the biggest bandwidth, whatever the case might be. The harsh reality is your customer couldn't give a rats about your product. So stop drinking the Kool-Aid. What we have to do is we've not, we need to get inside the head of the customer and understand what their drivers are and we need to interrogate them. And I say this very respectfully. Now, if you talk to most sales teams and sales leaders, they'll, they'll bring out the beautiful acronyms and they'll talk this, the corporate talk in terms of what is their business drivers and all the other things that go with that in terms of operating rhythms and compelling events and all that sort of stuff. Now, all of that is true and all of that is legitimate, but a lot of people gloss over the key things that make the difference between winning a piece of business and not winning a piece of business. And the first thing we've got to get in our head is it is not about us. It is not about our product and it's certainly not about our service. The customer is only going to do business if they have a legitimate problem to solve. So the first thing we need to be aware of is sales is not, and I've banged on this a lot about a lot about this in the podcast, sales is not about your product or service. It is purely about identifying problems and providing solutions to those problems. Now, I've said a lot that if you can articulate a problem that a customer has better than they can, then they will unconsciously or consciously attribute you as having a solution or at least a potential solution to that problem. When that happens, you're in a much better position to then close a particular deal as long as all the other stars line up and you've done all the right things in terms of the sales process and taking consideration of where they are in the buying process as well. Unfortunately, too many sales teams, too many sales organizations, they believe their own rhetoric. And I say that really respectfully and they're looking for opportunities everywhere where they can fit their product into a perceived need in the marketplace. We've got to reverse that and we've got to really interrogate the customers and understand, is there a problem? Because we don't have to be all things to all people. So we've got to actually do business with people and with organizations that have a legitimate need. And that's fundamentally what sales is. It's, it's identifying a legitimate need and filling that need with a solution so it actually solves a problem. It's as simple as that. And when you do that, it becomes the ultimate form of service. So we've got to get inside the heads of our customer, understand what their drivers are and interrogate them. Now, let me ask you this question. How often do you spend with uh, existing customers to clearly understand why they did business with you? To really delve deep and understand what it was about your uh, approach, what it was about your conversation, what it was about your strategy, not what was it about the product that made this organization do business with you. There'll be some interesting things you might find out in terms of how you approach that, which you can then take, bottle up, and utilize as part of your go-to-market strategy moving forward. So finding out, because not a lot of organizations spend near enough time on doing this. Yes, they might do some customer satisfaction surveys, but they don't spend near enough time really analyzing what it is about the interaction they've had with your organization as to what uh, led them to do business with you. How about non-customers as well? What about customers who haven't done business with you or you've had some interactions with, but they haven't quite uh, come over the line in terms of buying a product or a service? Why were you successful in those sort of conversations? And you know what? 
in many cases, based on research I've done and analysis I've done, is in many cases, uh, organizations won't do business with you because A, you haven't articulated a problem or they don't have a problem, or B, the organization has spent too much time trying to convince and influence the organization that my product or my service is a great product or service. And when that happens, naturally people start to put up the barriers and they will not want to do business. So find out as much as you possibly can as to why your customers and non-customers either do business with you or do not do business with you. You can even take this one step further and start interviewing and have conversations with your customers' customers who interact with your customer to find out what it is about your customer that their customers want to do business with them, if that makes sense. Because there may well be some insights that you can derive from those conversations that can help you provide a higher and better, more strategic and more focused level of service to your particular customer. So always always think about and think outside the square in terms of how do I understand really what's going on inside my customer's head as to why they want to do business. Because here it is, hand on heart, how much do you really know about your customer? How much do you really know as to the key reasons why they do what they do. And here's the here's the uh, harsh reality. It is not based on relationship. You might think you've got a phenomenal relationship. And I've had conversations with account executives over the years that have said to me, hand on heart, look me straight in the eye and said with 100% conviction, we have got a phenomenal relationship with this customer. They love us. They're not going anywhere. Uh, and the next thing I know, I'm trying to explain to my senior executives as to why we have lost the business. It is not about relationship. There's a lot of things we need to find out and therefore there are a lot of blind spots we need to uncover and shine a light on these blind spots. So here is here are some things to think about and this is by no means an exhaustive list and I'm probably going to record some more podcasts over the next few weeks in relation to this and might even do some interviews with some people who are experts in this particular field uh, just to give you a different perspective and certainly add to the list of some things we need to find out from our customers before we have a level of certainty as to whether we can actually close a particular deal. And it all starts with number one, and this is by no means in any order whatsoever, but probably the biggest one is is really, is there a defined problem? Really, if there's, if there's no problem, there's no point having a conversation because as much as you might think you've got the best product or the best service on the marketplace, if there's no problem for it, if there's no need for it, then it's just a product and its service. Because the perception of value, a perception of whether this is great or not, is going to be in the eyes of the beholder. So it doesn't matter what you think, and it certainly doesn't matter what evidence you can gather to try and prove that it's the best product in the marketplace. If there ain't a problem, there ain't going to be a solution. So is there a defined problem? How big is the problem if there is one? And here's the thing to think about as as well, and really ask the customers these questions. What will be the consequences, including the costs, of them not solving this particular problem. And this is the big one because often uh, customers will be actually trying to find a solution to a particular problem, but we as a service provider will often say, well, you've got a problem, fantastic. We don't qualify it any further. We don't go deeper. We don't try and build up the pain. And we certainly don't want to talk about the consequences of not solving it. We simply say, hey, you've got a problem, fantastic. Have I got a solution for you? And we go into features and benefits mode. Great sales leaders, uh, exceptional sales leaders and exceptional sales teams will dive straight into the heart of the problem. And if there isn't a problem, there is no point having a further conversation. So one of the key things to find out is if there is a problem, find out how bad it is and what are the consequences to them if they do not solve the problem. Because that will give you an indication as to whether this is a immediate type of issue. Is it something they have to solve right now? Is it something that's on the horizon in the long term? Or is there something in the next three or four months 
they need to start to address. So this is this is fundamental, and it's probably one of the first questions you need to try and ask and try and find out as to whether there actually is a problem and therefore a potential opportunity. Now, if there is a problem, then you need to find out, well, okay, how, how badly do you need or do you want to solve this particular problem? And if there is a, is a burning desire for them to solve this problem, then the obvious question for that is, okay, what have you allocated to this in terms of resources or budget in order to solve this particular problem? So how much are you prepared to pay for a solution to solve this problem? So it's really questioning how badly, how bad is this problem and is there really a desire or a need to be able to solve this particular problem, which is, which is all, all around drivers. So what is the driver? What do they need to do in order to solve this particular problem? Because there's no point having a conversation, going through a sales process, doing demonstrations or doing pitches and presentations and getting to the end of the process and saying, well, that's all well and good. Uh, unfortunately, we've got no budget allocated in this financial year, so come back in six months' time. Well, what you've just done through that process is wasted their time, wasted your time, and it's, it's just not going to happen. And in six months' time, guess what? There'll be something else that'll take a priority over this one, and it will not happen. So up front, we've got to start understanding this question. Is there a budget for this? Have you allocated a budget for it? And if not, why not? Because if the problem is such a big problem that you need to get a solution for it and you haven't allocated a budget for it, then that says to me that the problem is not a big problem and it's not a priority. So make sure that in the early in the sales process and as early as possible, really connected to the problem discussion, figure out and find out and really interrogate the customer in terms of what amount of money has been allocated to this. And if there has been some budget allocated to it, great, you're on the right track. If not, then let's interrogate as to why because it may well be that they need to work on developing some sort of budgetary framework for that, and it could be an opportunity for you to help frame that with them. And so with that, thinking about what is the budget that needs to be allocated, also be really critical in terms of the time frame that they need to put in place. And this is why we had we have got to ask that question in relation to, in this, is this a now thing? Is this a long-term thing? Is this a medium-term thing? So what is the timeline? The next thing is to understand what is the formal decision-making process. In many cases, sales executives and sales teams will have a relationship with an organization that I describe as being almost one-dimensional. So they'll have a really good relationship with, say, the chief information officer or the chief financial officer or the head of engineering or the head of marketing, whatever the case might be. Too many sales teams and too many sales executives have that singular one-dimensional relationship, which means they end up getting a, a visibility and a perception of the organization and perhaps the opportunity through that one-dimensional lens. And so we need to really understand what is the formal decision-making process in relation to this particular solution development and who's going to be signing it off, which means we've got to do some more digging. We've got to find out who are the key decision-makers, who are the key decision-makers who will be making the formalized decision but who are also the influencers who have input into what the decision will be. Now, these will be obvious ones in terms of you're going to have some key stakeholders that may actually be beneficiaries of the solution you put in place, but we also have to be mindful of, of there's going to be some more informal or invisible, as I call invisible influence as well, which is the informal network. And a classic example of this is the executive assistant. Too many sales teams and too many salespeople don't spend near enough time building relationships with the assistance of the executives they're engaging with in their customer base. What they don't understand is these executive assistants, and sometimes they're simply team assistants, are very, very well thought of within the organization. And they are relied upon to give specific advice to senior executives and often 
based on their daily interactions with organizations at a different level because that can give the executive a completely different perspective that they might be getting having dealt with certain people at a more senior level within the within their customer base or within their supply base. So we need to find this information out. And, and a key part of this is building that informal, uh, informal structure, informal org, org structure. So it's really about identifying, okay, this is the formalized reporting structure that I know about, but also I need to try and build an informal influencing structure that may or may not be mirroring the formalized organizational structure. And for this exercise, we need to start thinking about you know, who are going to be the advocates, who are going to be the detractors, and who potentially are going to be the neutral. So we can start building a strategy around that to either neutralize the detractors, uh, hopefully turn them into an advocate, although that's, that's sometimes a difficult thing. The best, sometimes the best you can do is take a detractor and turn them into a neutral. How can we take more advantage, and I say that respectfully, of the advocates and turn them into sneezers where they go and talk internally and become, uh, I guess, our referrers within their organization? And also, how can we build a strategy around some of the neutrals and get them to be a bit more of a an advocate so we can actually get them on our side as well. All of this information needs to be gathered because this goes into the sales strategy and when we do this really well, we maximize the opportunity of getting a result. Now, it does two things here. One, it actually enables us to not spend time, money and resources on bids and on opportunities that have a very low probability of winning, even though it might be appearing to be a great opportunity. And two, it'll enable us to allocate the resources and the money and the time and so forth into opportunities that are going to be qualified because we've actually done the analysis and we've actually shone a light on a lot of the blind spots that exist, by the way, in pretty much every single opportunity. So we've got to do this work. And probably the last thing to mention before we wrap up is, is there a uh, compelling event? Is there something that's going to be happening within the customer's organization that pretty much says this has to become a number one priority. Now, this is going to be probably linked to the problem, uh, but if there's nothing that's really a compelling event, then we have to look at opportunities where we can start creating a compelling event or build a strategy that might enable us to, I guess, reset expectations within our own organization as to whether this is going to be a short-term or mid-term or even long-term opportunity. So too many leaders, though, and the teams, and I'll just finish off with this, too many leaders and their teams focus far too much on their product and the service and all of the features and benefits. This is the last thing we should be thinking about. Only the features and benefits and the product come right at the end when we've actually clearly articulated and identified what the problem is. Only then can we start putting a solution together which might include some products and services. It does not start in the conversation. So when you look at your sales team, just ask yourself, are we finding out as much information as we possibly could be to give me and give my team and certainly my senior leadership team confidence that we're going to be in a position to actually provide a solution to a known problem. So if you can do this well, and if you can actually focus more time on your customer and less time on yourself and make it completely about your customer, and when you shine the light on the blind spots, amazing things are going to happen, most of which is going to be profitable business flowing your way. So I trust that message helps. If you'd like some help with this, or you'd like some help with your leadership, taking your leadership to the exceptional sales leader level, Love to work with you one-on-one. Just simply go to my calendar at leadwithdarren.com. Pick a time that suits, jump on a Zoom. We'll have a conversation about what the program looks like for you and get you well on your way to being that exceptional sales leader uh, pretty much over the next three months. So very much look forward to that conversation and as always look forward to sharing with you on the very next episode of the Exceptional Sales Leader Podcast. All the best.
Thank you for listening to the Exceptional Sales Letter Podcast. I trust the information in this episode has been helpful in your journey towards becoming exceptional. And remember, please take the time to rate the show, subscribe to the show so other people can find it. But also, if I can help you, jump on my calendar, go to leadwithdarren.com and let's have a conversation about how I can help you along your journey to being exceptional.